It is a joy to be here today. Uh, again, my name is Travis Fleming. I'm a native Illinoisan, the state where our governors make their license plates. So uh, it is a delight to be in the house of the Lord together to go to God's word. Uh, as he mentioned, I am a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, and I actually am very close friends with one of your former pastors, Jeff Malis. And so I've had a cursory familiarity with your church throughout the years, and I consider it a joy and privilege to be here today to share the word of the Lord with you. I've had some time to get to know some of your staff. I don't know them very well, but I, I do know this, that they love you very much, and they care about your nourishment, your, your well-being, and where you, are, where you are at in your relationship with the Lord our God. But it is a delight to be here, and I would ask you to open with me in your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Today we're going to be going into the Old Testament, and as he was mentioning, uh, my wife and I have been going through a little bit of a financial hardship, but I think the question is, is who hasn't recently? Uh, I think we've all been kind of in that dire straits. Uh, many people are. There are CEOs that are looking at temp work. Uh, I know where we've been traveling around the past several months, and uh, we've been in Florida, we've been in D.C., we've been in Pennsylvania, and we've seen that the economy is bad everywhere. And every one of us, I think, are have, has a spirit of a bit of fear right now. What's going to happen? Am I going to have a job in the next few months? Am I going to be laid off? What about my family? What about my kids? These are the questions I ask myself. God, what are you doing? Am I not serving you? Am I not... I sometimes feel like I'm exempt of having to go through these things. Don't you feel that sometimes? And you, and you question God. And I, I'm fearful, and I'm ashamed to say that. And, I, and, and in the midst of my greatest fear, when I'm crying out to God, He says to me, where is your faith? I was talking to this uh, young friend of mine who is uh, he's an entrepreneur, and he's a new believer, and I was kind of lamenting about this. And I said, I feel like Jesus is asleep in my boat. That's how I feel right now. I said, I just want to wake him up. And he goes, when you do, you're going to get rebuked. <laughs> because he said, oh, you of little faith, I am here. Didn't you know this? And I think many of us feel that way. Amen? I think we do feel that way right now. And I, I go to the Bible and I say, God, is there anybody like me in the Bible that struggled like I do? I mean, sometimes I look at the Bible characters, I don't know about you, but they seem so far away. I, sometimes I see the paintings with the halos. I remember I, I went to Moody Bible Institute, right? And I, my first impression was, I'll never get into Moody. They're way too holy for me. I can never dress like them. Because I had this impression that they had to look perfect and be perfect. And they didn't struggle with life like I did. They didn't wrestle with the things like I did. And I look at the Bible and I go, is there anyone that's in the Bible that struggles like I do? Is there anyone that has fear like I do? And, and their faith sometimes wavers. And God brought me to a character, the character of Gideon, who was a judge. Now, I'd like us to imagine for a little bit that we're going to be producers for A&E, biography. We're going to go back in time and we're going to look at Gideon's life because we're going to see that he is a man just like us. He doubts. He struggles. He's fearful. But we're going to look at him in Judges, the beginning of his life, and then we're going to look at him because he's mentioned in Hebrews 11. You remember Hebrews 11, don't you? God's hall of fame for faith. He could patrol the, the bust and the plaques on the wall, and there's Gideon's face. There's his little biography. And we're going to see him as fearful, go from fearful 
to a Hall of Famer in a period of time. Someone whose fear at one time overcame his faith, but through God's blessing, God's mercy, God's intervention, his faith ended up overcoming his fear. So please turn with me, if you haven't already, to Judges chapter 6. But before we get into our text today, let's pause and ask God's blessing on our time together, shall we? Father God, we come before you hungry. Hungry for your word. Lord, we're tired. We've gone through many different hardships. Some of us have, have lost jobs. Some of us are maybe about to lose our jobs. Some of us are about to lose our home. Some of us are, are struggling with our, our marriage or with our children or with another family member. Some people are sick. Some people have just received that diagnosis that they're terminal. Lord, I don't know everything that's going on in this body, but you do because it's your church. And you know each one of us intimately. You know our struggles and you know our fears. Lord, I pray today that your word might emanate like a laser beam. May it be like the sun at sunrise. Lord, may you remove the darkness from our hearts. May we see your truth. May we bask in what it is that you have for us. Lord, may we hear truly what it is that you have for us to do and who you have us to be. We ask your blessing on our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. I would invite you, I don't know you very well, but uh, where I'm from, I'd like to have people stand in the honor of reading God's Word. So would you please stand with me? We're going to be reading Judges chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to be uh, probably going through the end of chapter 6, but we'll go into verse seven or chapter 7 uh, later on in the message. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Orphrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hands and touched the meat in the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat in the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. 
To this day, it stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the ashrab that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the ashrab that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now that all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded a trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground there was dew. Blessed be to the reading and understanding of his word. You may be seated. Now, we've just read this scripture, but let's get a little bit of a background to what's going on. In order to understand any historical figure, we need to understand the times in which they lived. Is that correct? I think so. If you want to understand Abraham Lincoln, you need to understand slavery and the Civil War. If you want to understand Martin Luther King Jr., you need to understand the civil rights. Each person is, cannot be removed from the backdrop of their own time. And so it is with Gideon. Gideon's time was tumultuous. It was, it was horrible. See, the people of Israel had been freed from Egypt. And then they had wandered in the desert for 40 years. And then under Joshua's leadership, they conquered the promised land. But they didn't conquer all the peoples. And, it, and in time, they began to turn away from the Lord. And God sent judgment. He brought the Amalekites and the Midianites and the other eastern peoples across Israel. And they would ravish the land. I mean, they would come after them. They would steal their produce. They would steal their livestock. So much that the people were horribly afraid that they started living in caverns and in caves. And it's into this environment that Gideon is born. Now, what I want us to do is, is keep our, our fingers limber because we're going to be going throughout this text. I'm going to keep drawing us back to the text to show us a little bit more about his life. We're going to hear, learn more about his background, his education, his upbringing, and his family. And we're going to see that he's a very fearful individual. 
He's afraid to speak to his family about the truths of God. He's afraid even to believe because of his present circumstance doesn't match what he was taught in synagogue as a child. So, let's, let's look. First verse I'd like to highlight is the, the verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from, from the Midianites. Now, we would be tempted just to skip over this verse to continue on, but this verse sets the tone for the rest of the passage. Because our question is, is he's beating out, he's threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, we don't know much about the agricultural society of Israel. I mean, many of us today don't come from farm backgrounds. But in Israel, when they would thresh wheat, they would go on top of the mountain, on top of the hill where the wind would blow, and they would throw it up in the air, and the wind would separate the good from the bad. And here Gideon, though, is behind this terebinth tree. And he's in a wine press, which was cut about two feet into the ground, where they would beat out the grapes. And Gideon is doing this because he's afraid of the Midianites. He's throwing it up in the air, hoping that they don't see him, they don't come and take what he has. He's very scared. Which makes it all the more ironic when the angel of the Lord appears to him and says what? The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Get the irony? Almighty oh, man of valor. Say what? This guy does not look like a mighty man of valor to me. He looks like he's afraid. And now we have a little interaction between this angel of the Lord that Gideon don't knows, doesn't know who it is yet. And Gideon, we're going to get some more background into his life. And Gideon said to him, verse 13, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. See, we're getting some background into his education. Possibly he attended synagogue. But he had, he had heard stories from the, the older men and older women. And he had heard about how God had brought the plagues upon Egypt and had delivered the Israelites. And he's like, hey, if God is who he says he is and he did all this stuff, then why are we going through all this right now? He's got some serious questions. He's rustling. Have you ever rustled? Have you ever rustled with your life and what's going on and what God is doing? Have you wondered if God was there? You look at your present circumstance. If you're like, God, what about all this stuff I heard about as a kid? How come you're not working in my life that way? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I know I have. I've rustled. I think there are other biblical characters that rustled. I think John the Baptist rustled. I think John the Baptist wanted to understand when he sent his disciples to Jesus, they said, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Because he thought, hey, if you're the coming messianic king, why am I rotting in jail because of this pagan king? He rustled. I think Gideon's rustled. He's wrestling right here with God and what's going on because his present circumstance doesn't match what he has been taught. Let's go back to the conversation. The angel of the Lord responds. Verse 14, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. 
And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you shall strike down the Midianites as one man. See, he's afraid. He says, I I don't have the pedigree. I don't have the education. I don't have the training. My family's not that great, but you're calling me to do this? Hey, I, I, I don't have this. But God continues to speak to him. And if, you're, if you want to take some notes in this, hey, this is the first point that I want to convey to you. You know what? God knows our fears. Do you know that? God knows your fears. God knows right now what you're struggling with. God knows that you're wondering if your checkbook is going to balance at the end of the month. God, God knows how you're afraid of what's going to happen with your children or your grandchildren. God knows that. Every one of us has that. Every one of us has a little bit of fear in that regard. Especially when you have kids. A whole new realm of fear has opened up. I mean, you have this parental, like, radar. It goes on. Electrical cord, don't touch. Poison, don't touch. You're afraid. When they get older, no, driving with friends. No going out until you're 30. We have all these new things that are going on. Because we're afraid. And see, God knows our fears. And he can handle it. See, even when Gideon's saying, hey, I got all this stuff I'm afraid of. I can't do all this. He says, oh, I'm with you. I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to take your excuse. Here it is. This is who I am. Behold, I am with you. I am with you. So when we're afraid, remember, God knows our fears. In the movie Good Will Hunting, Will Hunting, he's played by Matt Damon, is, is a genius. He's just amazing genius. He can read any book and just process it immediately. But he's very troubled. He, he had a very troubled youth. And this came out. It was a very self-destructive behavior that was, could thwart the genius of his mind. And he, they, uh, one of the math professors finds out that he's a genius and tries to help him because he's so troubled, had so many run-ins with the law. And he takes him to all these different psychologists. And uh, Will Hunting would read a book by the psychologist and would learn all about him. And rather than them counseling him, he would find their fault in a moment and tear him down. It wasn't until he came upon Robin Williams' character, Sean McGuire. And upon their first meeting, Will attempts to put McGuire in place, just as he had of all the other psychiatrists, and does get to him just a bit. But upon their next meeting, McGuire says, and I paraphrase, he says, you think you know me because you read a book by me? You don't know me. He continues, if I were to ask you about love, you would quote me a sonnet. If I were to ask you about Michelangelo, you would tell me about his various sculptures, but you've never been there. You've never been to the Sistine Chapel, smell the walls and gaze up at that beautiful painting. His point was, you can read about it, but you can't experience it. See, Christ came and experienced us up close. He didn't just read a book about us. He came and lived among us. For the past several months, I've had the opportunity of being in many different people's homes. And I, I know them at a distance, but to get into someone's home, you really learn about them. I've learned about their fears. I've learned about their dreams. I've learned about their hope, and I've learned about their faith. And I've seen whether or not it was a reality. And it was, most often. See, Christ came up close. He knows our fears. He lived with us. He dwelt among us. He went to funerals. He went to marriages. He hung out with the worst sinners. He, he touched the sick, the immoral. He was there. He experienced everything. That's why he can identify with us. He can speak to us. See, God knows our fears. So when we're afraid, we need to remember that. 
God knows our fears. God knows what's going on right now. Do you think any of this has caught him off guard? As if he were sleeping? He knows what's going on in our political process. He knows what's going on in our economy with the economic downturns and, and people being fired and college graduates can't even get jobs. And, and it, the list goes on and on and on. It hasn't caught him off guard. He is the sovereign Lord in charge of it all. He knows our fears. And we can rest in that. So he knew Gideon's fears. He knew exactly what Gideon was struggling with. And Gideon, he knew what was going on in the world. I mean, some would even say that he had street smarts. That he not only had street smarts, but his response, as I mentioned before, we get a glimpse into his background. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happened to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But Gideon was doubting the presence of God in the midst of this. See, when our, when our circumstances are great, we're good faith-wise. We think so. We're pretty good when we're self-sufficient. It's when that self-sufficiency is cut out that we don't know what to do. We become a little bit unstable. But that's the moment that we turn to God. I think this economic crisis is, that's going on right now, I think it's a great blessing. I really do. I mean, I'm a victim just like everybody else is. But you know what? God has used it to revive my own heart in a way that I've never known before. All the little security and thing that I, things that I thought that I needed, God has stripped away, and he has shown himself to be the sovereign Lord. So I believe this is a time of great revival. That God is bringing us to himself. Let's continue on. We look at verse 15. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the weakest in my father's house. See, God knows our fears, and he doesn't come to us in a condescending fashion. He uses words we can understand, concepts, concepts that we can learn, and truths we can wear. And, and look at verse 16 again. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And what does this say about God and his relationship to Gideon and his relationship to me? It means this. This is number two. You can write this down. When afraid, cling to the promises of God. See, Gideon is made a promise. God has given him a promise. He says, but I will be with you. I will be with you through this. I'm making you a promise that I'm going to be with you through this. We should cling to the promises of God. You ever see the movie Twister? I mean, I, I grew up in Illinois. I grew up in Arthur, Illinois, the heart of Illinois Amish country. I grew up, and there were tornadoes that would come all the time. So when the movie Twister came out, I wanted to see it because I, I had seen and experienced many of this stuff as a child. And one, one part really struck me. It's when the, the two characters uh, that are in the movie, Helen Hunt and uh, Bill Paxton, are tornado chasers. And one moment in time, they're trapped, and a tornado is fastly approaching. And they run into a barn just as the barn is getting destroyed. They run into another shed, and they realize that they can't escape from this tornado. And he sees a set of pipes. And he says, these pipes are 30 feet down. They're going to hold through the midst of this. Grab the belt. So they strap on the belt. They strap it to themselves. And the tornado hits just as they strap on. And it tears apart the building. And they're even flying in the air. But they're holding on. They're anchored. And then the tornado passes over. That's how we are to cling to the promises of God. When tragedy strikes each one of us and comes at each one of us, grab on because the promises of God go deeper than any of us could ever imagine. Cling to the promises of God. When in the midst of your, your difficulty, your stress, cling to the promises of God. When he says, I will be with you and I will never, ever forsake you. Isn't that a great promise? To know that no matter what happens in this world, that it's not going to change. 
not going to change our relationship with God because Jesus Christ said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, the Lord, do not change. When He calls us unto Himself, we can cling to those promises during the most difficult times. No matter what comes, we can hold on to those promises. We have an anchor of the soul. Let's go back to our, our text. Look at verse 23 with me, would you please? Actually, no, let's go back up at verse 19. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat. He went off to get a sacrifice and eleven cakes for an ephah of flour. The meat he put under a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hands and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. The angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. I like that. Gideon perceived he was the angel of the Lord. It's kind of like when it says NyQuil attempted to make you drowsy. Really, it's called pass out on the bathroom floor. He didn't just perceive. I mean, this man was freaked out. Perceived. I like that. He perceived. No, I think it's much more. Perceived was probably like, what? Oh, my goodness. That was God I just witnessed. What would you do if you found out that you had just been speaking to God? What if God walked right through this door right now? What would you do? Slap a high five, give a chest bump. I really doubt that. Something tells me I really doubt that. I think you would be in awe, speechless, fall down on your face. So angel, I mean, uh, Gideon perceives that this is the angel of the Lord. And he knew the Old Testament. Remember, we already got it into his background, not the Old Testament, but he knew the stories that he had heard about. And he knew that if one would see the angel of the Lord face to face, man, he could die. And he cries out. He says, alas, O Lord God, verse 22, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, in verse 23. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. So he's, he's freaked out. He's, he's now more scared of what he just saw than what's going on. Is that correct? I mean, do you think you can have an experience with like that and, and not struggle anymore? No. No. Once we're on the mountaintop, we're going to go down into the valley. I mean, fruit doesn't grow on mountaintops, does it? It grows in the valley of life. So Gideon comes down from this experience, and God has something for him. God's not going to let him rest. God has something for Gideon. And Gideon, he wants to reach Gideon's family. Now, remember, Gideon had been taught about God and what God had done. But it doesn't mean his family was following. How many of you have individuals in your family like that? They've forsaken the Lord. They may have been taught about him, but they've now left the faith. Could be your children. Could be a cousin. Could be a parent. Could be a spouse. I think sometimes witnessing to family is the most difficult thing to do. Don't you agree? I think that's hard. I know myself, I get geared up for holidays because I have family members that don't know the Lord. My family gets nervous because when I get in with my family, I have a cousin who's a very huge huge uh, evolution. And we, we go back and forth, and he, he doubts God. 
We were raised side by side in the church, sitting in the pew, hearing the same sermons. And I'm following the Lord, and he has, he has turned his back on God. And he's a very educated man. So we sit down, and we'll start to talk, because we both care about it. And so we'll, we'll go back and forth, my family gets really nervous. They'll sit there for a little bit, and then next thing you know, the, the room is cleared out, and we've been going back and forth for three hours over turkey. Because, and, I, and I still, though, get nervous when I see him, because I'm not sure if I have the right words to say. And it hurts me that many of my family members aren't following the Lord. But God has put me in this family to help reach them, just as he has put you. Don't rely on the pastor. Don't rely on a radio or book. God is wanting to use you and your example, faithfulness over time, to share with them the life-changing message of Christ. Now, let's look at Gideon's life. See a parallel here. Verse 25, The night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Your father has. Your father has turned to a false god, and I'm going to use you to reach your father. Now, do you think he's a little bit intimidated? I mean, he knows that God is there, but his, his dad has this false, you know, this, this altar. What am I to do? So what's he do? Do you think he just goes and tears it down right then and there? No, I, I think he's still a little bit afraid. Let's look at the text. Tear down the altar that your, uh, a veil that your father has and cut down the ashrod that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the ashrod that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. And I like this last, next part of this sentence. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, did it by night. Hiding behind a tree. Now he's too afraid of his father. He, he's still, he's going and does it by night. I'll do it, Lord. You didn't say when, though. You didn't say it had to be between 9 and 5. How about 3 a.m.? Then I won't get in trouble for it. Remember? Do you remember when Mayor Daly wanted uh, mixed field? Do you remember that? Do you remember what he did? He took bulldozers at 2 a.m. and put a big, giant X they said, why did you do it then? He goes, I did it to avoid litigation. I want to avoid the law. That's what he did. So Gideon is doing it at night because he's so afraid of what his father will do. He's still afraid. And I like, let's go on in the text. Verse 28. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down of this false god, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? They're CSI investigators. And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. One of those ten servants that helped him turned him in. He's like, I'm not taking, I'm not taking the flag for this. I'm turning you in. So they show up at Gideon's house, staying with his father. And then they, verse 30, Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal, which was Joash's. He knew very well what was going on, and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, this is amazing, will you contend for Baal? Will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. It was his own altar. Now he's turning back. He said, you know what? This God is not doing anything for me. 
He's not. If he's really a God, then why are we in this circumstance? Why are we in this? My mother-in-law. Uh, I always have to be careful when I mention my mother-in-law in a sermon. She might be listening to this. Uh, is a wicked witch. Was. A wicked witch. She had been... Uh, she'd been in the church for a period of time, was a Sunday school teacher. She'd led people to the Lord, and she turned uh, her back on God for a period of time, for a long period of time. She had a spirit guide that appeared to her in the form of a woman who would tell her all these things for years, just feeding on lies, lies. But then one day, it dawned on her, you know what, my life's not any better. All, all, all this, this spirit is doing is keeping my life down. I want peace again. My wife said to her, when was the last time you had peace? She said, Good Friday. And I heard D. James Kennedy preaching the gospel. And she turned back to Christ. She repented of her sins. So here, Gideon's act of faith, even though he was fearful, he kept taking baby steps. Baby steps of faith. And God kept honoring. And can you imagine Gideon's amazement when, when this mob appears? They come to his house. They're beating on the door. They're asking for Gideon. And what did Joash, his father, do? He thought, oh, this is my own father's altar. He's going to turn me in. I'm a dead man. And then he turns and shows that he himself is no longer following Baal. The, I can't imagine the emotion that Gideon felt in that moment in time. As he turned, as his father turned back to God. So, continue on in the text. Verse 32 Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerub Baal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they were, went up to meet them. Look at this change has already occurred. Can you see it? I mean, afraid behind a tree, afraid of what his family was going to say. And now he's getting bold. He's not only calling his own clan, he's calling other tribes because God is changing him. God is showing himself to be faithful for each step of faith that Gideon takes. God is bringing more blessing to him. But yeah, he's still afraid. He's still afraid. We can see this in the next text, verse 36. And Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew in the fleece alone, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, he's on the threshing floor, so he's up high. He's not in the wine press any longer. He's out, but he's still doubting, and he tests God. Something that he knew he wasn't supposed to do. But God, in this instance, one instance, allows him to test, allows him to test. And it was so, verse 38, when he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry in the fleece only. And on the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry in the fleece only. And then all the ground, there was dew. Then, now we're going into chapter 7, Jerub Baal, that is Gideon. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. Then the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. 
lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. So, he starts off with an army. All these people he's called to himself, he has an army, and he's going to fight against the very people that he was afraid of in verse 11. And he has an army. He's feeling good. 32,000 men. We are ready to fight God. We've got the numbers. We're ready to go. And God says, no, no, no. Unless you boast that you did this in your strength, tell anyone who's afraid that they can go. So 22,000 left, leaving him with an army of 10,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Now, according to Judges chapter 8, do you know how big the Midianite army was? 135,000 men. So Gideon starts off. I mean, he's already outnumbered from the get-go. 135,000 to 32,000. He's like, okay, we don't have a lot of numbers. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you for this. God says, you have too many. 22,000 leave, 10,000. I mean, I imagine Gideon's getting a little bit nervous. As probably some of the men who are remaining going, hey, why are you sending everyone away? God told you to send everyone away. Okay, sure. I'm going to trust in that. So 10,000 remain. And God says, no, no, you still have too many. So 9,700 men are left, are sent away. And now there are 300 men left. So 135,000 versus 300. I'm sure those 300 men are went, what is going on? What is going on? Do you think Gideon was fearful? I mean, the do thing already happened. He saw his father be transformed. Do you think he's still afraid? Let's look. Let's look at the text. Verse 9, that, uh, chapter 7. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But, what? If you are afraid, if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. He's still afraid. He's still fearful. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. So it's, it's late it's a moonlit night because you can see them all. And their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. He must have woke up in the middle of the night. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled, tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. Still, 
I mean, can you imagine being Gideon at this moment in time? Behind a tree, afraid, afraid of his father, afraid of all these men that were coming along that he was hiding behind the tree. And now they're afraid of him. Why? Because of God. Because what God was doing in him caused his name to be feared. It wasn't Gideon's doing. It was God and God alone. As soon as Gideon, in verse 15, heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the hosts of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands and all, of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. You know, I don't know a lot about combat. I've never been in the military, but I think I would arm my soldiers a little bit differently. If I were one of those men and I received a jar with a torch, I'd be like, are you kidding me? And what would you say? We're going to go fight 135,000 men, 300 of us, first of all, and now we're giving a torch and a jar and a trumpet. What are we supposed to do with this? Ever wondered that? I mean, we, we look back in retrospect and we see what the result was. Can you imagine what they were doing, what they felt? The doubt that went within them, how afraid they themselves were. But they trusted. Verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and who, all, who, who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp. And at the beginning of the middle watch, so it's, about, it's, it's really middle of the night, when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and their right hands the, trump, the, the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel Moholah by Tabat. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Can you imagine the scene from Gideon's eyes? He has his, his trumpet, which is probably a shofar, like a ram's horn. He has this jar, and he has a torch in it, and all these men, they circle around the valley at the top of it. They're looking down upon them. It's late at night. He blows the trumpet. They crack the jars. They see the fire. The men below look up, and they see this, and they think each flame is a thousand men. He thinks they're surrounded by an army of 300,000, so they freak out. They get up in the middle of the night, and they think that they're already, that they're already being invaded, so they start stabbing their own brothers. And Gideon ends up defeating them. Now, what do I want us to draw from this? Well, first of all, you might be fearful just like Gideon was. But know that God knows your fears. When we're afraid, realize God knows us. Secondly, when afraid, cling to the promises of God. Cling to them. And also remember, though, when afraid, remember, God gives his strength to accomplish his task. See, Gideon couldn't do that task on his own. He couldn't do it by himself. 
He could only do it because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, gave him the wisdom on what to do, caused the people to follow him. And even then, he couldn't have predicted the reaction of the people because God had given his strength to accomplish his task. God is not about what you can do, but about what he can do, which is why he wanted a group of 300 to fight an army of 135,000. God delights in calling those who are weak to be strong. Those that are foolish to shame the wise. He wants people who are willing to believe him to take a step of faith. He gives us strength at just the right time. When Corey Ten Boom, the great missionary, was a young girl, and the Nazis were taking over her part of Germany, and her parents were involved in hiding Jews, she was scared. She knew that the Nazis were going after Christians also, and when it came down to it, if she had to choose what to tell them, could she have strong enough faith to stand up for God? She was afraid. Her father asked her a question. When I walk you to the bus stop, do I give you money? Do I give you money every day to get on the bus? She said, yes, you do. When, he asked. Right when I need it. That's what God does. He gives, he gives it right when we need it. Right now, he knows what you're going through. He knows the struggle. He knows the fear that you have. But repent, turn him, cling to him. If there's something that has kept you from following him and you've let your fear come in, overtake, he said, overtake you, he says, peace be still. Peace be still. I mean, that's when you go and wake him up. And he, he gives you a rebuke. Because he's there. He has given you a promise. Cling to that promise. I know that many of us right now are going through a dark time, but God knows that. Myself, I've been going through a dark time for several months. I've, I mean, I, because I have some education, uh, it's been actually hard for me to find even a part-time job while I was in seminary. Because people kept saying, you're going to leave. You're going to leave. You're going to leave. You're overqualified. You're overqualified. I didn't even have enough money just to even get food for my family. But God said to me through Philippians, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And time and time again, God would bring something miraculous to happen. And I would say, where are you, God? What's going on? Am I not your child? I'm trying. I'm trying. Peace be still. I am there. And, and his word became more open to me and, and touched my heart in a way that it had never, ever touched me before. I was afraid, just like Gideon, taking my small steps of faith, fearful of what my family would think, fearful of what others would think. But God kept bringing me through, showing himself to be sufficient. So when Gideon was called by God, I know he had weak faith. And I know that many of us here have weak faith. But my friends, our Lord Jesus knows our fears. He is sufficient. He speaks to us where we're at. He takes us where he wants us to be. For when the task that he has for us comes, he gives us the what we need, when we need. Is that amen? Amen that he's going to take care of us no matter what happens, no matter what crisis may come, no matter what company fails, no matter what scandal comes, no matter even what persecution may happen. This world is not our home. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will be with us, and he will supply our needs, and he will take care of us until he comes again or calls us to himself. Father in heaven, we rejoice in what you have done. Lord, how you have given us your son to die on the cross for our sins. That in 
died and rose again for our justification, that we might have a living hope. Not a dead hope, but a living hope. Lord, forgive us when we, we try to find our security in what we own or what titles we may have. Forgive us when we rely more on our background and our talents and our education than we do on you. Lord, forgive us for being completely living a life of self-sufficiency away from you. Lord, forgive us for our fears. But Lord, we know that you know them. And that you're able to handle them. You're able to speak to us because of your son. You said to us, fear not, for I am with you. He's given us a promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's also given a promise that to all who ever come to him in repentance and faith shall have eternal life. Lord, we rejoice at that. I pray for each individual here, for those that are hurt, for those that are, that are down, that are discouraged. I pray that you might lift them up. I pray that you might show yourself to be sufficient. You might show yourself to be God in their life. Lord, help us to cling to you through the midst of great storm and tragedy. Help us to trust in you, to walk daily with you, to never leave you or forsake you. Lord, help us to grow in righteousness and grace and in truth. And help us to know you more. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't know that trust, who doesn't have that hope, I pray they might come to know you, to love you and serve you. They might repent and turn unto you. Because you are the Holy One, the Savior of the world. Lord, we ask your blessing on the rest of this day. May you find our worship holy and honoring in your sight. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.